Tech Sounds presents EduTrends. Welcome to the EduTrends podcast and webcast brought to you by the Institute for the Future of Education of Tecnológico de Monterrey. I am Jose Pepes Camilla, Associate Director of the Institute for the Future of Education. And today's episode guest is Rose Lukin. So Rose is a professor of uh, learner-centered design at UCL Knowledge Lab and also founder of and CEO of Educate Ventures. It's a pleasure to have you here, Rose. It's lovely to be with you, Pepe. I only wish I could be there in person, but it's very nice that we can connect virtually. Me, me too. I would like to be with you in, in Australia right now. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's beautiful. <laughs> Great. So let's start uh, talking about uh, this uh, uh, subject of artificial intelligence in education by uh, defining uh, what is artificial intelligence and the uh, advantages and shortcuts compared to um, human intelligence. It's a really interesting question, what is artificial intelligence? Because there is a huge controversy over the definition of artificial intelligence. So academics will argue it's one thing or it's another thing, or it should only include this kind of technology or that kind of technology. But you know, really, I think the easiest way to think of artificial intelligence is to think of it as technology that can behave in a way that we would consider to be intelligent if we saw a human behaving in that way. So that's a very broad definition, but I think it's a very useful one. And certainly we have technologies that can behave in ways that we recognize as being intelligent in human terms. So being able to play chess or go at sort of world beating level, being able to drive a car, um, being able to assist with microsurgery, uh, so many different ways in which artificial intelligence is used from your voice activated assistant, whether you've got a Siri or a Google Home or whatever you have, whatever you use, AI is all around us and it's certainly behaving intelligently. But it only behaves intelligently in certain sorts of ways. Whereas as humans, we have a much richer repertoire of intelligent behaviors than our artificially intelligent peers. So they're certainly intelligent, but they're not intelligent to the same deep, rich level as us humans. And one of the key differences between human intelligence and artificial intelligence is the fact that as humans, we are capable of meta-intelligence, so of reflecting on our own thinking processes, which we can think of as metacognition. But we're also capable of reflecting on our own emotional intelligence and our own contextual setting, our understanding of where we are in the world as environmentally, with whom we're interacting. We can move throughout the world really quite seamlessly most of the time in a way that AI systems find incredibly difficult. And so this ability to take that meta level about our own thinking, about our own intelligence, differentiates us from our artificially intelligence peers. And that meta level intelligence is something that I think we need to really focus on as humans, because we can be really good. You know, we can develop very sophisticated metacognition, for example, but it doesn't come just like that. We need to work on it. So it seems to me that 
our education systems might be wise to give a greater focus to these meta-intelligence aspects of our human intelligence because they are the things that certainly at the moment, and I would argue for the foreseeable future, artificial intelligence can't achieve. And they're also connected to the parts of our intelligence that we do tend to measure and value more within the education system. So we know that people who have more sophisticated metacognitive um, development, more sophisticated processing, are also more likely to be successful in work, to be successful at school. So I hope that gives you a broad definition of artificial intelligence and gives some differentiation between artificial and human intelligence that's useful. Great. Uh, thanks for the answer, Rose, and very enlightening that our human intelligence is more broad, more adaptable to context, but also uh, we're more strong in metacognition, and that's one of the things that humans are good about. Uh, so if we want to blind our future uh, against uh, robots or artificial intelligence, we should be developing metacognition Absolutely. in the school system. And, and Definitely. And also meta-emotional intelligence, you know, that sort of, so it's not just metacognition, it's meta-subjective thinking as well, so that we are aware of our own emotional intelligence and that of people around us, because then we'll be better at collaborating, for example. So the combination of the metacognition and the meta-subjective and the meta-contextual is what I think will really continue to differentiate human intelligence from artificial intelligence as our AI systems get smarter and smarter and smarter and smarter, which they will. Great. So, and so after this definition, what does AI mean in, a, in an educational setting and, and how are we using AI today in education? I think AI has huge implications for education, whether you're talking about very young children or adults in the workplace or even adults who've retired from the workplace, AI has a huge impact. And I find it useful to think of that impact as being in three categories, if you like, and they're not mutually exclusive categories, they're not harshly defined, it's just a way of thinking about AI that I find useful. So we can think of the way that AI can be used in an educational setting, and that's mostly what's happening at the moment. So for example, because artificial intelligence enables technology to be adaptive, we have the possibility of providing individualized tutoring systems for students. And that can be really helpful because if you have your own maths tutor or your own um, language tutor that adapts the tuition to where you are as an individual, that can be super helpful. It's not everything there is about teaching. It's just one element of teaching. So it's not a replacement for a teacher, but can be really useful. And because most of these systems use machine learning techniques, they are also able to collect and process masses of data that can give very useful feedback to teachers about how the student is progressing and indeed to that student about how they're progressing, which can be very helpful for those metacognitive processes. So because AI can be adaptive, we can certainly use it in education and we are using it in education. So that first way of thinking about AI is about the kinds of ways that AI can be used in education. And if you combine the, the, the way in which we can now collect data 
um, through multiple channels. So we can collect data from sensors, for example, about somebody's heart rate or their stress levels. We can collect data about how much they're moving. We can collect data about their voice, for example, when they're speaking, not just what they're saying, but the speed with which they're speaking or the tone or the length of the silences. There's so much data um, that we would call multimodal data that's beyond just me interacting with a keyboard or a touchscreen. And, and if we use AI to analyze that data, then we can start to adapt in a richer way. So for example, we can have systems uh, such as, a, there's a system in University of California called SimSensei that's a, a counselor for students at the university. And this counselor adapts based on standard machine learning protocols according to what each individual student appears to need and then also benefits from real-time feedback about how that student is speaking, how that student is how expressing themselves through their facial expressions, you know, what kind of an emotional state they might be in. So that AI counsellor has a huge amount of different types of information that can be processed, both historical data about what students like this one might need, but also real-time data, not just from what the student is saying in terms of the content, but also in terms of what the, the AI counsellor is learning about that student's emotional state from the facial analysis from the voice analysis. So we can use AI in lots of different ways and we are within education. But most of what is happening at the moment is around this being able to adapt, whether it's adaptive platforms to provide tuition across the curriculum or whether it's specific to a curriculum area or whether it's using that adaptivity to provide recommendations about the kinds of activities, the kinds of resources that might suit a particular group of students or not. Most of what we do is based on the propensity of AI to be adaptive. But if we think beyond how AI can be used as a tool within the teaching and learning process, which is important and is developing, to think about two other ways in which AI impacts on education, then we get a richer picture. So the second way is really about educating people about AI. Because AI is developing very quickly. The kinds of algorithms that process the data in machine learning artificial intelligence are becoming more and more sophisticated. The, the power of the technology to process ever larger amounts of data and our ability to collect ever larger amounts of data means that the sophistication of our AI is increasing rapidly. And so we really need people to understand enough about AI to be able to live and work alongside it in a way that benefits them and keeps them safe. So I think there's a huge implication about helping everybody to be what I would call AI ready. So it doesn't mean you need to learn how to build an AI algorithm. You don't have to be able to program. You might want to, I love programming, but not everybody does. You don't need that. 
it's really about helping people to understand what AI can do, what it can't do, and how data enables AI to learn and how learning from that data impacts on what the AI can do for an individual. So we need people to understand the basics so that they can work successfully alongside AI, learn successfully with AI, live happily with AI and safely. And then the third category, but as I say, they're all intermingled, is the implications that AI brings for our education systems, not just in terms of recognizing we need to help people understand AI, but also that it's changing the workplace. And so where we started, Pepe, when we were talking about the difference between artificial and human intelligence is part of this. So what we need in the modern workplace that's becoming ever more automated, ever more enriched with artificial intelligence is not the same as what we needed in an individual for the industrial revolution type workplace for mass production in factories, for example. And so we need to think about our education systems as to whether they really are optimal for people in the world we're now living in, where there is a lot of automation, because really we need people to be flourishing. And I would say flourishing through becoming ever more meta-intelligent, ever more self-aware, ever more aware of others around them, better at collabor collaborating, because all the problems we face are hugely complex, so we need to be able to work well together. And I wonder about the extent to which our current education systems really do enough to prepare people for a very different workplace to the workplace that most of those education systems were originally designed to address. So I think in summary, yes, we can use AI in education to support the teaching and learning process in lots of different ways, and it's hugely valuable. We also need to think about helping people understand what AI is, what it can do, what it can't do, and how they can best live with and work with AI. And then thirdly, we need to think about what ways we need to perhaps adapt our education systems so they better prepare people for a life, a working life, a family life, a life that is always going to be augmented with artificial intelligence. I hope that answers your question. Yes, a very, very good answer and very deep uh, answer, in fact. And I, I was, I was uh, thinking on what you just said, and uh, I was wondering um, what will be the so uh, artificial intelligence. Um, uh, so you elaborated like a three steps, uh, three dimensions, no, of artificial intelligence. But on the on the second dimension is. Um, learning how to learn with artificial intelligence or learning how to teach with artificial intelligence when you're a student and a teacher. And I was wondering what will be the, the key things that students and teachers have to learn about the use of AI. So um, what, what are the... the it's, really, Go ahead. It, it's a really good, good question. And it's taken me a number of years, quite a lot of years, at least 10, thinking about this to try and come up with a framework which has seven steps, which is basically about taking anyone who's interested in understanding AI and 
obviously for me that means teachers and learners parents people associated with education but actually the seven steps are applicable to anybody it's just that for me it's about education always um and so and the, the first step is that you need to engage people on understanding why they should bother and I think this is one of the big challenges at the moment, Pepe. You're a busy teacher, you're a busy parent, you're a busy learner under pressure trying to get everything you need done. Why? Why should you bother with this thing called AI? Why do I need to understand? Okay, there's this system that helps me learn. You know, I'm having a great time. I'm using Duolingo or whatever it is. That uses AI. I don't need to, I just need to use it. So we need to engage people understanding why it's a bit more than that. Why would it be useful for them to understand more about AI and that's usually best done by taking a challenge that the person recognizes or the institution recognizes and showing how understanding AI might help them understand that challenge more and then how then they might use AI to address that challenge and it might be any kind of challenge it could be a challenge to do with a particular type of learner who's struggling in your institution or it could be to do with a particular subject area or it could be to do with um, needing to upskill teachers it could be anything whatever your challenge is and so once you've engaged people in in thinking about why do I need to understand AI then you need to to, to help them to look at what they want to do slightly differently so to to, to recognize the different challenges they're trying to address if they're a teacher or a school leader or a learner. You know, what are the challenges you're currently facing? And then go through a process of identifying which of those challenges you could understand better through artificial intelligence. Because if you can understand it better through AI, you can probably tackle it through AI. And in understanding how AI can help you understand your challenge, you start to understand AI. And so then we take people through a process of looking at the data that they have access to, that they already have. And it's amazing when you start asking people, what data do you have? They often have data that they've never thought of using when they're trying to understand a problem in their institution or whatever, but actually could be really useful. So things like daylight hours, things like temperature in the classroom, if it's a physical classroom, um, things like the number of people involved in a particular session, things you wouldn't necessarily think because it's not the normal outcome and assessment data that's collected in education. But if you start looking at all of the data that you might be able to collect to use to understand what's going on with your particular challenge, then that's useful. And then we take people into step four, which is about looking to see if there's any additional data that you might collect that could help you understand even more about the challenges that you're facing in your institution it, with your class in your learning journey. And then we take people through to step six, which is about once you've got all this data, what would AI do with that data? And so we take people through a process of what machine learning could do with a complex set of data. We don't do it in a technical sense. We do it in the sense of here are a lot of inputs and this is the kind of processing that we might be able to do with AI that would enable you to come up with these outputs. So I use cooking as my analogy a lot, Pepe. So if you think about it, if you think about your data as a set of ingredients 
and your challenge that you you've got to complete as you've got to make a raspberry souffle or you've got to make a chicken casserole or whatever it is you're making then the bit in the middle is the processing and that's the ai so we think of the data as the ingredients we think of what we want to understand more about as that chicken casserole or that that raspberry souffle and then we look at what's the processing and how do you decide given the ingredients you've got what you do and we take people through the fact that you need to clean and organize your data before you can apply any kind of machine learning to it and then we go through the basics of supervised machine learning and unsupervised machine learning that's as technical as it gets and it's very much about so what can you learn? So if you use unsupervised machine learning, you can find patterns in your data. And why might those patterns be useful? Whereas if you use supervised machine learning, you can identify something specific that you already know you want to identify. And the example that I often use when I talk about this is taking a set of data that you collected during the pandemic disruption to education when most education was either a mixture of remote and face-to-face -face or purely remote. And if we look at the data we could have collected and probably were collecting during that disruption, and we organize it, and then we process it, what we're able to come up with is a set of profiles of different types of lesson, class, interaction, tutorial, whatever, size chunk you want to think about this as but mainly it's lessons different types of lessons and then we can look and see how successful how unsuccessful they were for different sorts of learners for different sorts of teachers and look at the characteristics in the different profiles of lesson in order to help us know whether we were providing a reliably good quality education during that disruption and were we to need to do it again what might we do better because we now understand a lot more about what was going on. So, and the seventh step is basically, have we understood enough to, to think about AI differently or do we need to have another go at this? So that's the way that we frame trying to help people understand about AI. You have to make it contextualized to their needs. Most of the generally available AI courses, some of them are very, very good, like the Finnish Elements of AI course is very good, but it's general. And for many people that I've spoken to in education, they can't relate that general course to their setting. So the secret is to teach people about AI in a way that's very contextualized to what they're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis, and then gradually you can take things away from that setting to be a little bit more abstract, to generalize across one or two different challenges. And people do get a much better understanding of AI in this way, but they don't know how to write an algorithm. They don't need to learn to code. What they understand is what AI can do, what it can't do, why data is so important, and, and what the basic steps are when an AI algorithm is applied to data. So I hope that helps. Um, we've just written a book actually, Pepe, called, I uh, was just looking around to see if I'd got a copy, but I haven't got a copy to hand, called AI for School Teachers, which is about these seven steps. And I wrote it with a head teacher to try and make sure that the language was appropriate for educators, so it wasn't just me as, <laughs> as an AI um, in education scientist, but 
with a head teacher to try and make sure that we explain it in a way that's accessible because I think that's what's really important. And I think we need to focus on teachers first because if we can help teachers to understand AI, then it, they'll be better at explaining it to their students, to parents of their students, to colleagues. So you have to start somewhere. Yes, not a very, very useful answer and a very interesting approach um, so that uh, you can use AI understanding a little bit more than just a magic black box uh, that you don't know exactly. how it works, no? So you're more involved in uh, also in the setup uh, of, of the uh, AI and understanding also the scope and the limits uh, of uh, what an AI algorithm uh, can do. So you, you, you yeah, were absolutely. Talking... Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you were talking about the, the 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 pandemic, and I was wondering uh, the effect on the pandemic if uh, it will increase uh, AI uh, somehow the use of AI. So I can imagine that uh, remote learning has give us a lot of data, as you said. Maybe this could help uh, to increase or accelerate the adoption of AI, but also has. Uh, led us with a lot of uh, problems and uh, gaps and uh, um, inequities in uh, in education and i was wondering of also if ai can be a way of uh, closing those gaps or making the world of education more equitable such a good question and such an important question um pepe absolutely it can but we have to make an explicit decision that that's what we want It's still the case after decades of working in this area that the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning and the thing that still makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck, as we would say, is the fact that I believe that through networked technology and artificial intelligence, we could give everybody in the world a good quality education. For the first time in the history of the human race, we could do that and just think about how that would address those inequalities. If you could, wherever you are in the world, get a proper education, that would be enormously beneficial in addressing those inequalities. But it's not through giving everybody an AI tutor. That's not the answer. It might help and it might be part of the answer. It's much more about understanding the richness of the data that is now available to us and the way that we can use that to address the very specific needs of individuals wherever they are in the world and the way that we can use our communications technology to connect people who may have similar needs, who may do well by working together, even if they live in very different places. There's so many different ways that we could use a combination of the technologies available to us, but powered by data and AI, that would mean that we could really start to break down some of the huge barriers That build these inequalities in our system. But we do need to make an explicit decision about it because my fear is that we'll end up in quite the opposite situation. And I think the pandemic demonstrated this, unfortunately, and, and made me feel that what I'd seen as just a horrible nightmare that hopefully wouldn't come true as being actually, this is a nightmare and maybe it's a little bit closer to reality than I would have liked to have acknowledged. It's certainly the case that the more um, privileged 
students had a much better experience in the pandemic. And certainly if we look at data across very different, very many different countries, but I'll use the UK's example because it's the one I know the best, the gap between student achievement from different demographic backgrounds grew. So inequality grew basically during the pandemic. And yet that was an opportunity for us to use technology in a way that could have addressed that inequality, but for various reasons, we're not set up to do that. Some of it is to do with hardware and connectivity, but most of it is to do with understanding and not prioritizing the use of technology within education, not incentivizing it so that everybody feels it's something they really need to do. And therefore you end up in the situation where it's the most privileged schools, institutions, universities who are in a position to meet the needs of their students who are also the most capable of meeting their own needs. So the pandemic was, I think, a, a real opportunity that we are not leveraging and we really must leverage. We must use it to build on the skills that educators in particular gained during the pandemic by using technology. But more importantly, we must use it as a motivation to think about how we could use our technologies of all sorts, but in particular, because we have AI, to really start to address the inequalities across the world within education systems. But that's, that's a political question, primarily, as much as a technical one, because with enough encouragement, and enough resource. We do know enough to build technology platforms, technology systems that could start to break down these inequalities. But you need the political will to want that to be the case, to make that happen, for that to happen. So I have a fear that my horrible dystopian nightmare of less privileged learners being given an AI tutor and some minders to keep them in a safe space and more privileged learners being given the lovely, rich, blended educational experience that mixes human, AI, all kinds of technology is perhaps closer to reality than I'd like it to be because I can see how appealing that could be economically. You know, it'd be much cheaper just to put masses of people in learning labs, which we know don't really work, but with you know AI tutors and some minders, as I say, to keep them in one place and keep them safe, um, it's not it's not the right thing. But I can see how an argument could be made that it could be economically viable and sensible in the short term. Of course, the consequences in the long time would be disastrous. But you can see what I'm saying, Pepe. How the challenge is one of will, not technology. Yes. Yes, I, 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 um, I understand what you said, and it's a very complex situation and a very different and different context. No? So, in particular, in Latin America is the region of the world that closed the school for the most time. Like uh, half of mm. the time of the pandemic was closed, and Mexico was even worse. So, uh, uh, it endangered a lot, uh, uh, damaged a lot the learning of um, uh, more uh, underserved uh, communities, yeah. uh, students coming from those communities. 
the students that come from the more privileged families because they have access to other uh, ways of learning, uh, more uh, knowledge capital, let's say, in their family was available and, uh, and, and other types of, of resources. But I also believe that uh, students uh, that come from those underserved families can uh, uh, gain a lot from the use of uh, technology. But uh, use uh, correctly and uh, not uh, substituting the professor, but uh, augmenting the uh, possibilities of a, of a professor so that he or her could be uh, making better use of the, the time, not quality time uh, for the students. And, and that's one of the things that we have to uh, fight for, let's say. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I really think that AI could be an additional superpower for every educator, for every learner, but we have to fight for it to be that. And we have to fight for that equality um, because it's not there at the moment. Yes, let's let's uh, go to another question. Um, I, I would like to ask you, what do you see the future of AI in education, let's say in, in 10 years, and if you could give us some examples to sure. I think I'm going to tell you what I would like to be the case. I've already given you a bit of a dystopian <laughs> future scenario, so let's not go there. Let's be much more positive. Yes, and, think, and the, okay. the future doesn't exist. We construct it, so let's, exactly. uh, let's be positive. What I would like. <laughs> yeah, let's be positive. So I think... I definitely believe that the kinds of AI systems that we're seeing being used in education at the moment are just the tip of the iceberg and they're useful, but we can do a lot more. And in particular, we can do a lot more if we um, collaborate and build systems that share. Now, we have to be very, very careful when we talk about data sharing. And I know you want to talk about ethics which we'll come to in a moment because it's super important but it can be done but if you can imagine being able to as a teacher or as a learner being able to use the same kind of data intelligence infrastructure across multiple different types of mm -hmm. application of technology so think about it a bit like electricity in the home you know, electricity powers the dishwasher, the washing machine, um, the Hoover, whatever, whatever device, the computer, you, you know. Um, and it's not the device, it's the electricity that's the power. And of course, different devices have different sophistications. So if we think about the, this, this infrastructure of intelligence, which is the combination of lots of data, smart AI algorithms, but also smart humans, interpreting that data and constantly challenging what the AI is, is saying about a particular learner, group of learners, district of learners, nation of learners. So it's that combination of the data, the AI, the human intelligence that is that infrastructure. And then you have lots of different types of technologies that are fed by that infrastructure. So it might be augmented reality, it might be virtual reality, it might be a smartphone, it might not even be a technology, it might just be a human having a conversation with another human, but the conversation is enriched by what that intelligence infrastructure has provided the individuals who are part of that conversation. So I think 
I would say a future where we move away from individual devices being the focus or individual applications of AI to this intelligence infrastructure that powers all the interactions that we have, whether they're just human to human, whether there's some kind of technology involved or whether they're very much focused through technology. And then to, to, to add to that and to make that possible, of course, we need this um, educated population who understand enough about AI in the same way that they understand enough about how you navigate in the world, because this is a different sort of navigation. You know, we are, I know that in times when we're allowed to, to travel and we're able to travel, I can, you know, get myself to an airport, get myself on a plane, arrive in a location I've never been to before. Even if I don't speak the language, I know I'll get be able to get myself to my accommodation. I'll be able to settle in. I'll be able to go out and order something to eat. It might not turn out to be what I thought it was, but you manage and, and very, and we do it all really, as I say, quite seamlessly. But what we really need is that kind of approach to understanding AI, we need to accept that we need to be able to do this. We need to be able to navigate this technology. We need to be able to understand enough about what it's doing in order to be able to be part of that intelligence infrastructure, to navigate the different types of ways in which AI can be used, to help the design of the AI that's used in teaching and learning for sure, but also in the rest of the world. So we need that that educated population who understand enough about AI and who know that they need to understand it, that it's not something they can just leave to the big tech companies. They need to engage with it. And then we need education systems that embrace a very different set of parameters within which to assess the success of the education system. At the moment, most education systems evaluate how successful they are on the basis of exam results let's be honest that's a key indicator or some other kind of formative uh, some other I'm sorry of summative assessment or job placement or it's, it's quite limited the way that we currently evaluate the success of our education systems so that needs rethinking because we need a population who as I said at the start of this 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 conversation have a much richer kind of intelligence. We don't want a population who just do the same as the AI because with, with the power of AI, AI will always win when it comes to certain sorts of activities. So it's pointless for us as humans to try and compete. Let's do the things that we know we're much better at than AI, which of course means that we need to understand what those are, which means of course we need to understand something about AI. So I think we need education systems that evaluate success differently because it's always the way that success is evaluated that dictates what happens, isn't it? You know, the fact that we have various different forms of examination or test means that those are the things that we use to say, oh, look, more people are getting a higher score on that test. Therefore, our system must be improving. We need to sort of break away from that and say, okay, that's just one metric. What are the other things that we need to be looking at? And because we've built this intelligence infrastructure, we know that we can evaluate things that previously were beyond our evaluation. We can start to evaluate 
how persistent somebody is, how good they are at concentrating, how we can improve their ability to pay attention, how we can help them to reduce distraction so that they can focus more effectively. Because we have that data and we have that AI and we have that human intelligence as part of that intelligence infrastructure. So it's a, it's a future where I think if we looked in a classroom of 10 years, you wouldn't see more technology. You might even see less technology because it would have moved away from being front of house, so to speak. It would be part of the infrastructure and it would be powered by AI. And we would have educators, parents, educational leaders, learners who understood more about AI and we would have a very different way of evaluating how successful our education systems are, powered by AI. Interesting, and um, um, what, what what you're saying, and it um, it's uh, related also to the evaluating more the the learning process that the the learning result uh, itself. I I will uh, focus on the on the first uh, of the three points that you were. Um, explaining um, the one related to the use of uh, this uh, AI infrastructure for learning that I, I imagine is related. You say collaboration. I imagine is relating with the ownership of your of your data and also these systems. They normally learn from your interaction, but uh, what you learn in one system is not available in other systems. So that system will yes. have to relearn. And if we have a common infrastructure that can share that data, that is your data because it was generated uh, by you and uh, somehow uh, is part of the things that are related to the ethical use of AI and also that you can uh, that that you should be owning that data and and not some some company private company or algorithm no? yes so what are the absolutely what are the risks and the, the risks and the and the and the guidelines for an ethical use of AI. I know you're the co-founder of the Institute for Ethical AI in Education. What can you tell us about? Absolutely. You've hit the nail on the head. You know, we have to, it, it's vital that we don't mess up on AI and deny people the opportunity that AI could bring to give them an education that they might not otherwise have. So in my view it would be unethical to get that wrong we have this amazing technology it's really important that we design it we regulate it we use it we apply it in a way that is ethical because not to do so would be unethical that's the first thing the second thing and you are so right about personal ownership of data and of course that's another reason why understanding AI and data is so important is that we do need people to be willing to, to take ownership of their data. And yes, they might have to have some help with that. I can imagine a whole new range of businesses springing up that will help you look after your data. Again, they'd need very strong ethical regulation to make sure that, that, that what they were doing was the in, in the interest of the owner of the data. But I think that's the only way we can get to this intelligence infrastructure is if we take charge of our data, if we see it as something that is ours and that can be used to benefit us and we make the decisions about how that data is used to benefit us. At the moment, 
our data is owned by lots of different companies and actually primarily by quite a small number of companies who therefore know quite a lot about us and use it all the time. And we don't even know, and we're not necessarily benefiting and we're not having a say in, in, in what's happening with that data. So I think that the ethical piece is largely related to the data piece of the AI puzzle and helping people to understand why data is so important. But then there's also the, 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 the algorithmic part of AI that we also need to make sure is being developed ethically so that we don't end up with algorithms that are, for example, trained on unrepresentative data and therefore bring biased results. Now, of course, as humans, we're biased, and sometimes the AI can be useful in actually highlighting the bias that we have unconsciously been applying in our behavior. Sometimes our AI can help us to spot that, which is useful, but, but that's something that needs to happen before it's actually used in the real world, not while it's being used in the real world. So we have the sort of data layer where we need to understand, we need to make sure that we have ownership of our data, that we understand why it's important. We need to you know, ensure privacy. We need to ensure that we know when our data is being collected, that we have given informed consent, et cetera, et cetera. With the algorithmic level, we need to make sure the algorithms are designed in a way that is ethical, that is to a certain extent transparent, that is explainable, that can be justified so that the way the data is processed is also done ethically. And then there's, of course, the result, the imperative. And I think this is probably the most important part. And it's the part that I worry gets overlooked. And that is the imperative of the AI. In other words, why are we using the AI? And is that an ethical purpose? So for example, I could take, let's just take a school classroom. Let's take a school classroom in country A and a school classroom in country B. And we collect the same kind of data in that classroom and we process that data using an AI algorithm and say that the data that we're collecting is about the extent to which students are um, concentrating, paying attention while they're learning and their, their results. It's very simple. So we're just looking at whether a, a, a child is paying attention and then what are their learning outcomes. Now in country A, we use that data to make decisions about providing additional support to help students who are struggling to pay attention. So we want to help them pay attention. In country B, we use that data to decide that actually we're going to segregate the students who can pay attention from the students who can't pay attention. And we're going to provide more support to those who can pay attention because that's easier and that's cheaper because they're obviously already going to be better at learning. And we just kind of give care to the others, and, but we don't really try and progress them. So exactly the same data, exactly the same algorithm, but the imperative, totally different. For me, one's ethical, one's not. So that imperative is super important. With the Institute, we try to take those different aspects of what's going on with AI. So think about the data, think about the algorithms, think about the imperative and create a framework that would help educators, educational leaders, educational institutions make wise choices when thinking about bringing AI into their institution. We needed to start somewhere and we needed to start with something that was practical. 
that we came up with as a framework that's designed to help educational leaders, education organizations make good decisions when they're trying to bring AI into their organization. And that includes decisions about how they might design policies for their institution, for the application of AI, but also how they might choose AI, what kind of questions they might ask the company that's trying to sell them an AI product, for example. And I think that took us a certain step of the way. And we were very lucky in that as part of the Institute setup, we had an international advisory group. So we tried to come up with a framework that could be adapted to different cultures, to different contexts. But of course, that's the hard bit is now taking something like that generic framework and saying, okay, well, how does that work in Mexico? How does that work in Australia? How does that work in the UK? And then, well, how does that work in this particular type of school? And so I have been doing some work with um, an international school group precisely to look at how do they take that framework and turn it into something that can work for them, that can be used to drive policy within their organization um, to help them ensure that the way that they introduce the use of data, the use of AI is ethical. Um, but it's it's quite a, a complex process. And I there is there will be a um, a paper coming out about that. Like I can't say any more at the moment because it isn't yet published, but but I can send it to you, Pepe, if it's of interest. Thank you. Well, thanks for, for your answer, um, uh, Rose. And I, I think we need to to educate ourselves and to learn much more. I encourage our public to uh, to reach Definitely. out and, and read your book, that, uh, The Use of AI in, uh, in a Schools. Uh, uh, I want to thank you for this uh, conversation, Rose, uh, for your time and for sharing with us uh, your knowledge and your experience in artificial intelligence and, and in education, I'm sure. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this, uh, this talk and I'm sure that uh, our audience will value also uh, this talk. On behalf of the Institute for the Future of Education, we thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I hope uh, to have you here soon. Yes, I'd love to be there soon. <laughs>